Proverbs chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 1, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Give attention to no understanding. In case you were wondering this word that keeps coming up over and over in the book of Proverbs, to know wisdom, discretion, knowledge, understanding. Those four words over and over and over and over again, it's just on, it's on repeat. You guys ever love a song so much that you put it on repeat and it just goes over? You listen to it like a hundred times before you're sick of it? I do that all the time. In fact, I've had one song on repeat probably for the last five weeks every time I drive from my house to the church. It's this song called Eden. It's this wonderful song. These four words, wisdom, discretion, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom we've talked about. Wisdom is, 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 is the chief thing. It's seeing things God's way, which is seeing things the true way, which is uh, Christ, seeing Christ in his fullness, in his person. You have to understand that's what wisdom is. We don't pursue Wisdom apart from Christ, when you pursue true wisdom, not worldly wisdom, which the Bible mentions, there's worldly wisdom. There's a lot of worldly wisdom out there. In every nation, they have their own wisdom. Some of it's harmless kind of wisdoms, like this is how you get rid of a cold, you know, drink hot water. I don't know if it works, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I don't know if it works. Or drink this, or this is how you get rid of this. And there's all these kind of natural remedies as you go from nation to nation. But then it can get even more intense and worse. It's like, no, this is how you approach marriage. And this is how you approach relationships. And this is how you approach career. And this is how you approach life. And there's all this worldly wisdom. It surrounds us all the time. It's ridiculous. Um, Winston Churchill said that the most powerful thing in the world is truth. So important it is that it is surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. And what Winston Churchill meant by that, I keep forgetting so much of Africa hates Winston Churchill. You've been lied to about Winston Churchill, just so you know. There's been a lot of historical revisionism that's going on with his life. But anyways, it's a true statement nevertheless that he made. And what he meant by it is before you actually get to the truth, you have to go through in order to find one truth, 50 lies. So if you have one truth standing alone here, there's 50 lies surrounding it And before you get to that truth, you have to get through those 50 lies. That's the way the enemy has set up our society. He's the prince of the power of the air. There's lies about the mind. There's lies about the soul. There's lies about the body. There's there's lies about education. Lies about parenting, about marriage, about friendship. I mean, there is so much of the world that just pumps out these lies all the time coming into our minds 
that it takes somebody who absolutely loves the truth to find it. And they will find it if they really search after it. But the, the, the truth is, is that that statement that Mr. Churchill makes is so true because even the Bible corroborates such a quote. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was teaching hard truths? And by the way, when you give this word before saying truth, it's hard truth. Or we've heard this term before, tough love. This is tough love. When I was kicked out of my, my mom kicked me out of the house when I was around 14 years old. Everyone was like, well, that's tough love. I'm like, well, it feels like, yeah, feels tough. Again, my mom told me when I was 14, you can have marijuana or you can have this house. Pick one. And I thought she was bluffing. I said, I want marijuana. And she goes, okay. The next morning she had my bags packed. She drove me to the airport and put me on a plane. It's tough love. But when you have these words before that, it's really unnecessary. Love is love. Truth is truth. So when somebody hears a truth, they can hear it as something harsh. And I do think we need to be careful with our tones and be respectful when we speak to people. But nevertheless, you can speak the softest to somebody. And if you're speaking some truth that violates their worldly wisdom, they will leave offended. I've had such offensive sermons. And it's almost like no one gets offended. Then I have such tactful sermons and I offend 50 different people just from reading the Bible and explaining it. So it's not just tough truth. Jesus was preaching truth. And in fact, it was the parable of the, um, the sower. A sower went out to sow some seed. You guys know that. I quote it all the time. The reason I quote it's such a pertinent parable because we have so many people getting saved in this ministry or at least making confessions of Christ. But all those people that raise their hand, all those people that come forward in prayer, which are dozens and dozens every month, I don't know the percentage, but it is the smaller percentage of them that are not following up in their faith that they confessed here. And the reason for that is the Bible explains it to us. Jesus explained it to us. The reason for that is that the seed, which is God's word, that is planted, falls on different soils. All of the soils receive it. Every one of them. Now, there's other soils that don't receive it, but those aren't the soils that are being described and taught to us in the parable of the sower by Jesus Christ. You have rocky soil, you have thorny soil, you have shallow soil, and you have good soil. And the rocky and the thorny and the shallow, all of this is three different things. You have Satan that comes up, the shallow, and he snatches it up. They received it, they're like, yes, and then he comes and he has his ways of snatching it up. And then you have the thorny, it chokes out, it's the cares and the worries of this world. Somebody 
maybe on a Sunday morning, they hear the power of God's word. They feel the presence of God in the congregation, a body of Christ that's worshiping as a unit. But they're on the outside looking in at us. And they say, man, this is, I, I want to believe in this. I believe in Jesus. And they raise their hand and get prayed for. They leave these doors and they allow the worries of this life to consume them. And they begin to follow after a different path other than the path God has for them. A narrow path. A path of obedience. Do you know 1 John chapter 2, the Bible actually says, this is how we know if we know God. I'm not quoting it wrong. That's what it says. This is how we know if we know God. Isn't that an interesting statement? Do you know what it's saying is the the capacity that human beings have to be deceived is so great that the Bible has to have a verse that says, this is how we know if we know God. In other words, you can think you know God and don't know him at all. It's a very interesting verse. I was teaching it to the basketball guys on On Friday, this is how we know if we know God. And I've read it before, but it strikes you when you read it again. Just like, man, what what a profound verse. This is how we know if we know God. And, And it's so right. Isn't the Bible so right only every time? You're sitting there and you're like, yes, yes, that's a perfect verse because so many people are deceived. And how how do we know if we know God? If you obey his commands, the Bible says, you're walking in righteousness, not perfection, but direction. You're not perfect, but you're walking in the direction of Christ. You're not willfully sinning. And if you are willfully sinning and you think you know Christ, you don't know him. In other words, what the Bible is encouraging in 1 John chapter 2 is, do you want to know if you know God? Ask yourself the question, do I know Christ truly? It's not complicated. You don't have to have a lack of assurance of salvation. The Bible encourages us that everyone who's born again should know that they're born again. I know I'm born again. And this is how I know that I know. Is that I am not willfully walking towards sin. Obeying the commandments of God. Desiring the commandments of God, the righteousness of God. So, so many have this profession of faith and they leave here. And they are like, oh, I forgot. During that worship service, it was so good. And the preaching and the power of the word that, that I'm actually living with my boyfriend. Well, I'm going to have to go. Well, oh my gosh. Well, he's the one who's paying the rent. So I'd have to leave. And if I leave, I have nowhere to go. My parents don't want me back or I can't travel because my job's here. It's not enough to get an apartment, but I got to do this. And then you have this issue with school fees for this, me or or brother or sister or a son or a daughter and this. And and all of a sudden the worries of this world just snatch up. You're like, no, I can't. I can't leave this sinful relationship. Or maybe it's the other soil, it's pleasure. You receive the word of God, it's exciting. But you leave and you're just consumed with pleasure once again. 
You've been feeding your mind terribly with terrible music or terrible movies. And you think that you're going to be strong after watching the, the filth that's on TV? And, the, and then the pleasures of this world just snatch you up. See, when Jesus taught that parable, do you remember when it talks about the multitudes left? I mean, because during Jesus' teachings, our Messiah, our King, he would teach and be like, a sower went out to sow some seed, and some fell by the wayside. Enemy snatched it up. Some of it uh, fell on thorny ground, and it got choked out. Some of it shallow ground. Some of it good soil. And he explained, I'm paraphrasing, and he puts a period on it, kind of moves on. He just moves on. He doesn't explain it, he doesn't give an interpretation. People leave actually thinking Jesus Christ is weird. Like, man, this guy, he's talking in fable. He's talking in parables. Well, let's go get some lunch. We have no idea what this guy is talking about. We have no idea. But guess who remains behind? The 12 disciples. And some more, by the way. Some of those women. It's always good if women remain behind. We love it. And they remain behind. And they're like, um, hey... Jesus, what was the meaning of the parable? We know that you're not just telling us stories about farming. I, I mean, come on. We know the, the idea of seeds and how we plant them. They go like this. They get watered like this. Of course, they're, they're a farming people. The Jews have always been a farming people. He says, it is for you to know the kingdom of God. Why is it for them to know the kingdom of God? And, and, and by the way, he says, they've gone by seeing that they may not see and hearing they may not hear. And it, it almost, if you get all fatalistic and Calvinistic, you can almost think, well, God actually is teaching and saying that he blocks their vision. He blocks their hearing because he doesn't want them to know. And that's not at all what the Bible's teaching. It may seem that way as you kind of read it, but the answer is given at the end of the parable when he says, it is for you to know the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're still there, inquiring, seeking after truth. God will never turn away a broken reed, a broken life. He will never turn away somebody who's pursuing truth. Seek and you may find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you shall receive. And it's saying, it's not saying ask for money. It's saying ask for the person of God, which is the embodiment of truth, and you will know the answer to your questions. You will know the meaning of life. You will know the meaning of marriage. You will know the, God will guide you in all things by his word. His will is not a mystery. It's for you to know. So when you pursue wisdom, you are pursuing the person of Christ. That's the one word. When you pursue discretion, the idea of discretion is to be able to divide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. 
you're able to separate people. The idea of discretion is to be discerning. And the gift of discernment is not just for a few people. God can equip all of his children with discernment and he wants to. So knowledge, this is just wisdom, discretion, knowledge. Knowledge, by the way, just so you know that word in the Greek is, is gnosis or gnosis. It, it means to know by experience. There is these two different knowledges that the New Testament talks about and the Old Testament. Well, there's several, but the two that I'm referring to is the knowledge that is theoretical that is mind knowledge, and the knowledge that is personal, that is experiential knowledge. When, when the Bible is talking about knowing Christ, that word knowing, that knowledge, gnosis, it's that knowledge or knowing, it's talking about experiencing the person of Christ. Knowing his person through a relationship. You speak to him and he hears you sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. He speaks to you because you're reading your Bible. That's a relationship. And if you guys who are not married, you're going to find out real quick that your spouse wants you to communicate with her. Women are better at this stuff. I don't know why. We're two different genders. He split us up. Adam got all masculine when he got... Eve got out of him and she's all feminine and it's a good thing. Both of them, they come together. But they're, all, they're still to this day after 12 years of marriage, going on, thir- go, going on 300, I should say. Going on 13. Kelsey will say, you haven't talked to me. It's like we haven't talked in a couple days. I'm like... Yeah, that's right. What do, well, what's up? You know, we want to talk about. I want to talk about life. You know, and, and women are great at this stuff. And, they, and it's a good thing that they want to communicate. I have met some guys, by the way, that are not like me, who were really good at talking to their wives. They just talk. Then go home and talk for two hours. I can't do that. I don't know why. I want to. I, I, I'm just saying that knowing by experience is different than theory. When before I married Kelsey, I could see her from the distance. I knew she was pretty. That's what I knew. I didn't know a lot about her spiritual life. I knew that she had gone to Bible college. I knew that uh, she did never ever flirted with men because she never flirted with me. I knew, I knew things that were good, but it was after we got married that you really get to know a person. When you move in with somebody, has Jesus, have you opened the doors of your heart so that Jesus can move in and you get to really know him? Or are you just closed off? Are you just dating him? Is this a dating relationship with Jesus? So knowledge, it's to know by experience. And then this word, this is just one verse so far. But to give attention to understanding, that word understanding has something to do with 
a foundation that is laid. Understanding is the idea of a, 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 of a pillar or a foundation stone. That when we build our lives on wisdom, discretion, and knowledge, understanding that that's the way, putting it on a foundation, well, the Bible will say what it does over and over and over in the book of Proverbs. Moving on to verse 2, for I give you good doctrine. I give you good truth. I give you good understanding, good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. You know who's talking, don't you? This is David talking to Solomon, and Solomon is repeating what his father told him. When I was my, uh, my father's son, that's Solomon talking, tender and only in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my words in the container of your heart. Retain them. Don't let them go out. Don't let, don't let them slip through the cracks. Don't let them spill over the top. Because wisdom, discretion, knowledge, understanding, they will preserve your heart. Bitterness, worry, anxiety, it will corrode your heart. Because bitter wor worry, anxiety, Did you hear that again? Bitterness, worry, it corrodes the container it's carried in. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. David and Solomon know all too well to associate wisdom and understanding with beauty and beauty with women because they had a lot of experience with women. Unfortunately, it ruined them. But they know that wisdom and understanding and discretion and knowledge is a beautiful thing. Wisdom is the chief thing. There's that verse I've been quoting over and over. We took four chapters to get to him. It is the principal thing. It is the chief thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. It, the idea is go get it. Pursue it. Purchase it. It even says pursue wisdom in one of the, of the portions of Scripture in the Proverbs. Purchase it. Some of you may have to run over to Nivis before you go home and purchase some unga. I don't know if you like that sort of thing. Ugali. Or maybe you got to go purchase some juice or eggs or beef or chicken. Why? Because we need that kind of stuff to live. To be honest with you, I'm rather hungry right now. <laughs> Us Mzungus eat earlier than you. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. Those things are important. We need to pursue them. We need to purchase them. Wisdom is much more important to pursue and purchase than even food, than even water. 
Uh, it's said repeatedly in the book of Proverbs, it's, it's, it's more precious than gold or silver or precious stones or rubies. How can you purchase wisdom? Guys, read your Bible. Read your Bible and pray every day. Pray, you, you ever hear that song? Yeah. Are you reading your Bible every day? I know a lot of pastors talk about it and they should. Well, that's what the Bible's saying. Pursue it. If you're not reading your Bible every day, that's a problem. It's a problem. Set time aside to fill your mind with this book. Retain the wisdom of its words in your heart. That's what David's telling Solomon. That's what Solomon is telling us. In fact, it's what the Holy Spirit is telling us through David and Solomon. Pursue wisdom. That is, in essence, saying pursue Christ who is the Word of God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This book is Jesus Christ. Not the... Like, not these pages, but the, the words within them, the power of those words is the wisdom and the person of Christ. Have you guys ever done this? I'm sure you have. And in full transparency, I have too. You haven't been reading as much as you should. And sometimes in a backslidden state, it can even be months or for some people years. But some of us have experienced this whole weeks thing. And you just, you may have gone in and read a couple verses and you close it. And you're just, maybe there's sin and there's guilt on your life, condemnation that you won't receive forgiveness or you, you just don't care about it. All. But then do you remember those times when you pick it back up and really pay attention to it? It's like the, it's like the first time ever reading it again. Like, oh my, I forgot how amazing the Bible is. The other day I was reading 1 John. I haven't read 1 John in a while. It's like, oh my gosh. Why have we never taught 1 John at this church? You guys ever read 1 John? It blows my mind. How many answers about life that 1 John gives? About theology about knowing God, about knowing ourselves. It's incredible. Have you, have you guys just read the book of Romans, chapter 1 to 16 in one sitting? Or maybe you take a water break or something. It, 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 it's, like there, it's like taking a power washer. Sometimes you're just getting a drip of water because you're not reading your Bible very much. It's like, boop, boop. That annoying sink drip that somehow got left on and you can hear it from your bedroom at night. You're like, but you're so tired. You don't want to get up until finally you get up after. You guys know what I'm talking about? Does anybody go through these things? And then all of a sudden you read the Bible and it's like a power washer just blowing out the dirt in your mind and in your heart. Remember, Sin will keep you from this Bible, but this Bible will keep you from sin. Have you guys? I hope you're as affected by Romans as I am. If you are really receiving the power of the words of Romans, it will transform your lives here on Sunday morning. It's wonderful.
pursue wisdom. So not only the Bible, there's wisdom beyond the Bible. It's Christian men and women who've written books. I'm just giving you some ways to pursue wisdom. It always starts with the Bible. But if you're not reading Christian books, you're not going to be a thorough Christian. I can tell you that. John Wesley said, um, a deep reader is a deep preacher and you cannot be a thorough Christian without being a deep reader. This is a quote from John Wesley, the great revivalist and the founder of the Methodist church. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom. You know what you should stop surfing, uh, uh, surfing on YouTube? Guys, as ladies in bikinis and start listening to some more preaching. Ladies, you should stop surfing all of the beauty products online and start listening to some more preaching. What's the new hair product? I don't know. Because there's a lot of good preaching on YouTube. Don't become obsessed with people, but there's a lot of good preaching. Oh my gosh, you, you and I don't have enough time in the next 80 years to read all the good books that have been written. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom. If you've not read every one of C.S. Lewis's books, you're missing out. It's like there was a party thrown somewhere in the late 1800s and early 1900s that we have been invited to, and it's one of the best parties the world has ever had, and you're not going because you're not reading C.S. Lewis. If you've never had your mind blown by the Pilgrim's Progress, oh my goodness. I was reading for the first time the Pilgrim's Progress and I was chapter one, I read chapter two, chapter three and the, the first sitting and I'm thinking, I stopped the, like around chapter three and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why God would you gift a man this much and I can barely write one page on a piece of paper? Have you guys ever read Pilgrim's Progress? How can he know that much about life? Spirituality. I can tell you. How, I can tell you. The Holy Spirit completely overshadowed him when he wrote that book. I'm not saying it's the inspired word of God. Don't get me wrong. But if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, I hope you've scratched your head like, this guy is a genius. He is a genius. And he will take you from the Christian life day one to the Christian life day die. And everywhere in between. You want to know what this, you're going to be like and what you're going to be facing in 15 years? Read the Pilgrim's Progress. You'll know what you'll be facing in 15 years after walking with Christ. Pursue wisdom. Start reading some of the Puritans. There's a, actually some... Good writers out, if you've never read Gentle and Lowly by uh, um, G Ortland, uh, Dane Ortland, I think his name is. It's, a, it's an amazing book. The book is a whole book on the, really the verses when Jesus says, come and learn of me for I am meek and lowly and I, you'll find rest for your, your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's got to be one of the greatest verses of all time. Do you know that I read in the book, I learned, because there's a multitude of wisdom with counsel, and I didn't know because I don't know what I don't know. 
till I learn what I don't know from other people. And Dane Ortland taught me that that's the only time in all of Jesus's life that he says, come learn something about him. And it's about his gentleness and love and meekness. And all of the gospels. It's, it's so affected me that we're going to put those verses right on the wall very soon coming to a church near you. You know, my dad, who was a real messed up guy, but later on in his life, he got right. He repented. He's in heaven, by the way. He wrote a song on those verses. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll play it for you sometime. It's a good, good song. It's powerful. If you've not read the Lion of War series, which is fiction, by Cliff Graham, guys, they are the most masculine books of all time. You're going to want to lift weights after reading that book. I promise you. It's about David and his mighty men. I don't read fiction a lot. But when my pastor calls me and says, you have to read this book, I'm going to obey my pastor. Because he knows what he's talking about. I was the first, when I got the book on a tablet because I couldn't order it, it didn't come to Eldoret, I was like a crackhead all over again. I'm three in the morning reading the book. Read the, read the Lion of War series by Cliff Graham. They are absolutely amazing books. Do you know that the closest you come to a coma state is when you're watching television? Now, I'm all for selling down at night and watching a little TV. People watch it all day long. I, do you remember a couple Thursdays when we had the panel up here? And Isaac Wooten was one of them. I forgot what I used to preach. I used to preach against those Nigerian, Korean, Chinese soap operas that everyone watches here. And, and, and what are they, Mexican or Spanish? Because you know how I know they were watching them here? Because the first 300 house visits that we did as a ministry here, me and Kelsey would walk in, they'd have Nigerian soap operas on. And they wouldn't turn the TV off. And people would sit down on the couch and start talking. I'd be like, I can't listen to you when this Nigerian soap opera is on. Can you turn it off? When that stuff fills our minds, we are walking away from wisdom. When we read the Bible and those books that I mentioned in prayer, you're pursuing wisdom. If you've not read Vishal Mangawaldi's is How the Bible Changed Western Civilization, that book, blow your mind. Pursue wisdom. Do not forsake her. Love her. She will keep you. Wisdom's the principal thing. And all you're getting, get wisdom. And all you're getting, it goes on. The Bible builds on its precepts. It'll give one precept and then build a house on that one precept. It's saying, pursue wisdom. And all you're getting, get wisdom. 
That, that means in all you're getting, when the Bible says in all you're getting, when all the getting of food, all the getting of education, all the getting of your career and work so that you can support your family, all you're getting, make sure that you know wisdom is more important than all you're getting. I can get so busy. I got problems. I get busy. I can get stuff done, guys. I can get stuff done. It, it can be a problem. I can get stuff done. We can do stuff around here. I can have like 87 things in my mind at the same time getting done. But in all my getting, if I'm not pursuing the book and prayer, it's just, it's, my life is going to be destroyed. And yours will too. I love getting stuff done too. I'm so excited about this conference. We're repainting this entire building. I mean, not on the outside, but things on the inside. We did the gate. We're going to get some tents. We're gonna, we just got some lights for the church. I mean, some real nice lights. Not these lights from Eagles Hardware that make me blind every time I preach. We can get a lot done, but in all my getting, if I, ain't, if I ain't reading this book, if I'm not pursuing the wisdom of other men and women, have you guys ever read Elizabeth Elliot? That woman will blow your mind as well. You, you know what she did, right? Do you guys know what Elizabeth Elliot did? Does anybody know? Her husband and his friends and her were missionaries in South America, in the Amazon jungle. Her husband went out one day to share the gospel with these people, the, uh, the Ecuadorian Indians there. I don't know if you call them Indians, but the Ecuadorian uh, pagan tribe, they killed him, speared him to death. Do you know what Elizabeth Elliot decides to do? Go to the same people the same man who killed her husband and shared the gospel with him. He got saved. The entire tribe got saved. Ladies, would you go share the gospel with the guy who killed your husband? Read Elizabeth Elliot. She knows what she's talking about. Pursue it. Exalt her in verse 8. And she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. You guys embrace people? Some of you single people embrace people too much. You got to stop those kinds of hugs, man. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't give a good hug, but guys, you're violating these women. I watch you. We're not dumb. I see you over there. You go up to these ladies you're like, mm. <laughs> a bunch of perverts. I'm tired of it. We're going to start. You know what we need to do, Preston? We need to get you a blow dart gun so you can shoot every guy hugging a girl like that in this church. <laughs> or a taser. Just go down and tase them. That's my fantasy, that we would tase every guy that assaults a lady with a hug in this church. <laughs> Embrace wisdom. Don't, I mean, you won't, you embrace a lot of things. Embrace wisdom. Bring her close to you. 
Bring her close to you. Right up against your chest. Right down into your heart. I've learned so much through the preaching of God's word. My pastor, guys, your grand pastor, he's taught me so much. I'll be sitting there. He'll start talking about psychology and psychiatry. He's thoroughly equipped with the writings of Sigmund Freud. Have you guys ever read the book, by the way? I forget the author. A Comparative Look on Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. And it, it, it compares their lives and their doctrine. It's a brilliant book. He started teaching stuff I never heard because you hear the world that you got to get to, before you can get to one truth, you got to get through 50 lies. Now, I thank God that he had his hand on me because I could have got messed up bad, guys, if it were not for God. More than I was because when I was, I think I was around 14 or 15 years old, I got back in my mom's house and I was a very disturbed a young man, disturbed. I was very violent. I would hurt people. I would hurt myself. Constantly punch, punching walls, breaking my knuckles all the time. Just a rageful, bloodthirsty, violent, crazy guy. So they took me to a, to a shrink or whatever they go. They threatened me with a mental institution. Like, yeah, we're going to have to admit you. Like, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, they take me in, and this guy wanted to get me all these drugs. Valium, Adderall, Xanax, lithium. He's like, yeah, we're going to prescribe you these for the next two years. You have attention deficit disorder. ADD. Yeah, everyone does nowadays. You notice that? They diagnose this. You know what they give people with attention deficit disorders? Adderall. Adderall is akin to cocaine. Similar. It made me feel weird, so I pretended to take them and I would flush them down the toilet. Thank God, because it could have messed my mind up even worse. I didn't know that. And I'm sitting under my pastor's teaching and he's teaching the effects. And the worldly wisdom of modern psychology, all streaming from Sigmund Freud, all these different things. Embrace her. Exalt her. And then look what it says in verse 9. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Ladies, you guys pursue a lot of crowns of glory. A lot of them, don't you? Extensions, weaves, braids, product, crowns of glory. And listen. We like them. They look great. They're cool. Keep pursuing. I'm not this weird pastor like, don't do your hair nice. No, do your... In fact, I would encourage it. A lot of you feel way too comfortable out in public. But do you know when you have wisdom and understanding and discretion and you're embracing and you're exalting and you're pursuing? Oh, it's so much more beautiful than a nice head of braided hair. It's so much more beautiful. She will, 
It's like an ornament of grace, a crown of glory on your head. It's like that Shekinah. When you're embracing wisdom, when you're filled with his word, when you're connected to him in prayer, when you're filled with the wisdom of other Christian men and women, which we need to be, you're a beautiful person. Absolutely beautiful. Hear my son, David saying to Solomon, and receive my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. It's not saying that Solomon's going to live old. The Old Testament will, will say these things. It's not not saying that, but the idea is as your life goes on, it will be filled. It will be full of, you'll be full of life, full of years, is, is, is what it's saying. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold. More action words talking about taking hold of wisdom, discretion, knowledge, and understanding. So not only embrace her into your chest. Now take hold of her. You know, it was said of, um, oh man, I'm going to forget him. Second, the great awakening preacher helped found the Methodist church. Whitfield, George Whitfield. It said that he would read his Bible everywhere he went. He'd be standing in bank lines. He'd be out on the street sitting on a corner when he was waiting for somebody that you never would see George Whitfield without his Bible reading it. One of the best preachers the world has ever seen. And, and, and by the way, guys, when I say a statement like that, it's not the best because he was the most gifted. He was one of the best because he was the most filled with God's words and the wisdom of God. You get a lot of gifted people. You know, there's a lot of gifted African preachers. They got great gifts. They can entertain. They can do their voice, you know, changes. But there's nothing more powerful than a man who preaches with the understanding of God's word. There's nothing more powerful than that. Take firm hold. Do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. We'll get into that next time. But, but, but guys, change your life even tonight. Say, okay, I get it. I've been meaning to do this a while. I am going to read my Bible every day. I got to do it. You, you must. I mean, like, don't go another day without it till the day you die. And if you're dying on your deathbed and you only got a couple hours left to live, tell your family to read the Bible to you before you die. Because if you don't start doing it now, you're not going to have it read to you on your deathbed. Do you remember when Paul was in the Roman prison? He said, bring the parchments. I want the word of God. Bring a coat. It's cold in here. Bring the parchments. That's the most important. 
But vice versa, if you don't start now, you could end up in a situation that I found myself in many years ago when Kelsey's grandmother was dying. Not the one who was born again either. And we were taking shifts at night, uh, during the day to go read her the word. We did not, we, we believed she wasn't saved. And you know how it is when somebody's dying, you're like, ah, well, well God's gracious, you know. Funerals make everybody a liar. We know where she is. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not talking about her when he, whatever you want to say, but at this particular situation, it's my turn, so I'm going to go read for, for an hour. We were taking shifts, just reading the Bible, trying to get that word in her right before she dies. So I'm reading the Gospel of John. She would always pretend she was sleeping when I would walk in to read the Bible. So she's all... And I start reading. I'm 10 minutes into it, guys. And she starts screaming out, almost like a demon. Stop it! Stop it! Talking about reading the Gospel of John. Purpose in your heart today to begin reading your word every day for the rest of your life. And find some good books. Find them. And I'm not talking about Essex Kenyon and Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen books. Find some John Bunyan, some G. Campbell Morgan, some F.W. Borum, some C.S. Lewis, Dane Ortland. John Knox, Martin Luther, pursue it, grab hold of it, embrace it, and it'll be an ornament around your neck and a crown of glory on your head.